Good morning. This is the last message in a series of messages called um, Jesus First. And as we said over past weeks, it is is about having a um, about a, a campaign that we had planned to do. We go out in the community and help encourage people to put Jesus first in their lives and, and for us to show that Jesus is first in our lives, just a an emphasis on serving our community, uh, one that we hope to do next year, one that we hope uh, will be a different environment uh, next year. But to whatever the environment, we will find a way, make plans to uh, to bring it together uh, and and to understand and learn and begin to practice what ministry evangelism is. Ministry evangelism is, is simply going out and doing the works of Christ and connecting the works that you're doing to the gospel of Christ and making sure that people understand that as I'm as we're serving you, the reason why we're serving you is because of our love for Jesus and we want to share that love for Jesus with you and want you to understand that you can also know Jesus Christ. So that is uh, that is the intent not just to do the good things. Sometimes we share the gospel, but we aren't helpful. And so it, it looks like our faith is without works. And sometimes we do the works, but we don't connect people to Christ. And so it just looks like we're doing good things just like anybody else would do good things. But the two go hand in hand. Today's message, uh, well, it's called Bring Back That Loving Feeling. And I, I didn't want you to think this was a campaign ad. Um, but uh, I saw that as I was as I was looking I remember this song from Top Gun, and it was it kind of sparked mine as I was putting the sermon together and so forth, and and it kind of went along. And then as I was uh, looking on the for media, I noticed that there was a campaign sticker for Maverick and Goose. Now, if you've seen Top Gun, you know what that means. But um, I don't know how Goose is going to pull that out. But um, the uh, it's not a uh, it's not a campaign endorsement. So just let's get it on the table. But um, when I watched that movie years ago. Oh my goodness, I, I was younger than some, older than others. Uh, and uh, I remember that was one. I remember trying to wanting to learn the words that song because it was a song they sang together. I don't know if you remember that or not. That scene where they sing "Bring Back That Loving Feeling" by the Righteous Brothers. And I was just getting the radio, and so we were playing that song on the radio in the stations that I worked at. And uh, I remember memorizing the words. And wearing the sunglasses, you know, the aviator shades that we would all wear, trying to recreate that moment back when I had hair like Goose. Uh, my hair was more like Goose than Tom Cruise. But the, uh, um, but we would uh, recreate that moment, bring back that love and feeling. So when I saw the sticker, I, I got what they meant right away. That there was a, there's always a feeling, an emotion we connect with things in the past, and it can be the Something we experience in church it can be exp- something we experience. We call them glory days, uh, some moment in time. And some of you are in a glory in your glory days and don't realize it. Uh, and uh, and years from now, you're gonna think, wow, even though we were in a pandemic, that was still the best best moments we can remember in life. Hard to imagine that, but it is like that. We we find a moment in time, and it's always uh, it's always glorified in that we. We're not really thinking of it accurately. If we journaled or kept track of it or whatever, we'd realize we didn't really feel like things were great during that period of time at the time. But when we look back, we have a tendency to romanticize things. And it is that way in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a tendency to romanticize 
our relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we talk about loving God and being in love with God, sometimes we have a tendency to romanticize that love for God. We connect it with a feeling. I remember being um, having a lady that attended our church. She had, their church was struggling. They were visiting our church. And, uh, and this is another state, but they, they were visiting our church. And um, I remember she said, she was going back to the church. They found a new pastor, and she went back, and she said, I know he's the right person because when he preaches, it makes me cry. And so I know he's man, God's man, just like you. She says, when you preach, I cry too. And I was thinking, well, if I had a dime for every time my wife said that, uh, that when I preached, she cried, but the, for different reasons. But the, um, it's a joke. That was, that was, if she were here, that would be so much funnier. Uh, the, um, the, she's visiting her mom, by the way. She's. She's not at work today, but pray for her safe journey home. That's just my little aside for Kim. But we we have a tendency to think in those terms. I want to come to church today, and maybe you're here for this reason. Maybe you're here thinking, I want to laugh, or I want to cry, or I want to feel something. I want to have this experience. And the greater the experience, the more I feel, the more I laugh, the more excited I get, the more passionate the music is, whatever, that's the greater worship service. And then it's like, remember that service when all those things clicked and everything happened? And then and then this one, not so much. And and then sometimes we rate the services based on that. And and I have a tendency to fall into that. I can fall into that trap too, based on person you know, response to the crowd. Like like an applause meter or something. Remember the applause meters and you're kind of saying, Well, the greater the applause, the greater the message, the greater the experience. And so we try to get back to that that moment. Well, today we're going to look at Jesus telling the Apostle John to give a message to the churches in the book of Revelation. And he's going to tell the churches at Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, that they have lost their first love. And he's not talking about trying to get them to go back to a loving feeling. He's trying to get them to understand They are loving something different than what they originally loved. And sometimes, even within the church, even though we're here and we're doing what we think we should be doing, and they were, they were doing all the things they were supposed to be doing, but their affections changed to something that God was saying, this is not where your affection needs to be. And what happens is, is when our affections shift and we begin loving something other than what we first were called to love, when we lose that, we begin to try to get back the thing that God didn't want us to have. Because we we actually become at war with God because God sees us loving something we shouldn't be loving and he begins to take it away from us. And then we begin to pursue it more vigorously And he's pulling away from us, and we pursue it more, and so now we're in this battle, and we think we're in a battle with people. We think we're in a battle with somebody somebody that's hurting our interests, but in reality, it's God who's working against us, who's trying to take it away from us. And that happens in our marriages. It happens in our families. It happens with our kids, our kids toward us, and us toward our kids. And it's idolatry is what it is. You begin to replace God with something other than God, and you may call it God, you may think it's God, 
But really, it has nothing to do with God at all. You begin. Sometimes we get in our minds that you know, it's um, we have to dress this way, or we have to act this way, or we have to feel this way. And if I don't feel this way, then something's wrong. And our lives become completely emotionally based, or they become physically based, or sometimes our spiritual, the spiritual dimension of our lives is we're loving spiritual things that are not biblical things. And really, that's just us loving false gods. And so when we go back to the truth, and we go back to actually what His Word says, and that's why we constantly have to go back to the Word of God. What does Jesus actually say to us? What does He actually say is important for us to be doing? Is the thing I'm really, really, really wanting, is it even in God's Word? Does it hold up to God's Word? Am I, is this something we've created? And we just started doing it so much we just believed it was part of the church or part of what we were supposed to be and part of what we were supposed to be doing and all of a sudden we're we've got this whole life that's invested in something and we're we're so passionate about it and and it could be a career it could be a person it could be whatever the case we're we're just saying this is what I, I think this is who I'm supposed to be this is what I'm supposed to be doing this is how I'm supposed to be doing it and I had a lady that I remember one time she felt called to be a Christian musician and she knew that she was gifted to sing and God had called her to sing and she was supposed to have a successful Christian music career. But her husband was a professor at a school and she believed because of his lack of money, his lack of passion for what she did, that she, he was holding her back. So she believed God called her to divorce him, to marry Another man who was financially capable and who was supportive of her Christian music career. Leaving her son and her husband devastated. She walked away and pursued this career in music. Which she never got. Never panned out, never worked out. It's harder than it looks. And it's more than just having money. But the logic that she absolutely believed... This is what God wanted her to do. This is how she wanted to be pleasing to God. She was trying to capture something. She had had a, an experience where she had sang and was so rewarded and so blessed by it. She was trying to recapture that moment, even if she had to leave her husband and son behind. And in leaving her husband and son behind, she left God behind. Look at what Jesus says to through the Apostle John to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered, and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent, and do the works you did at first. Otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do, not, you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. And pray this morning as we as we walk through this, Lord, that you will show us how we can return to our first love. Maybe for the first time we are coming to know Jesus as he really is. Father, we pray, Lord, that there's anybody here today who has never put their faith and trust in Jesus as he is revealed, as he re- as you reveal yourself in your word. Father, may today be that day. But for those of us who have put our trust in you, Lord, may we remember who you are and what your word says to us. And may we get back to that. Get back to your love and not just a loving feeling. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. He begins, John is having this this revelation. And God is giving him a message to the churches. This is going to be the last message that Jesus gives the apostles to share with the church. That's why it's at the end of our Bible. It is the last thing God is going to say. It is the thing that's going to have to tide us over for 2,000 years. And then some. So, well, I say and then some. We haven't got to 2,000 exactly yet, so it could be right on the money. So, <laughs> But it is, it is the thing that we have been for two millennia remembering this is where we're going. And in this message, and, and this is what's amazing about the seven churches, something that's very sobering, the seven churches that God gives a message to, none of those seven churches exist anymore. All those churches have fallen. Most of them are now in Muslim-controlled countries, and uh, none of them are functioning. kind of gives us an idea that the churches don't last forever. The church lasts forever, but specific churches can fall. And then those people are scattered. And then the gospel moves into different areas. And just a sobering thing. We had this uh, day of uh, this prayer march yesterday for our nation and so forth. And, and it, it needs to be something you are remembering. When you see the events happening around us, remember that this is not new. Wherever the church has been, I mean, it was not a pleasant transition. It was not a pleasant transition from a place being a Christian nation. When we traveled to Egypt, it's hard to imagine that Egypt was a Christian nation. All of North Africa was a Christian area. The bishops of the church, they're all, they were all throughout North Africa. And none of those, now they're like 99% Muslim. 95 to 99% the whole area. And what happened? Well, what happened was what was happening here. There just came a period of time when the church lost its place and was replaced by other belief systems and other ways of thinking and so forth. All throughout Europe, the church had such a strong presence in Europe and massive, major people of God speaking to the church. And England, some of the greatest preachers we've ever had in England, now it's a godless secular society. And the same thing you see here. That's not saying there aren't any believers in Europe and so forth, but if you go to some of the massive churches there, you, you see that they are boarded up and and uh, sometimes in a back room there will be a meeting of believers. 
but there's not the original church it's just people who got some cheap space and most of them are museums it's hard to imagine that this space where we are right now at some point someday this could either be a museum or just cleared out for parking for some other business or something like that but that is that is what has happened throughout history but not right now right now we are the ones who hold this ground we are the ones who say we don't care if the coronavirus comes. We don't care what the enemy throws at us to destroy the church or hurt the church. We are going to be the church and we are going to reach this generation for Christ. And we are resolved to do that. When we look at empty chairs, we're resolved to get people in those chairs. To see people worshiping here with us, knowing it's one person at a time, one family at a time, one, one group at a time. doesn't matter where they come from, what they look like, what their past is. We're about that. And this is the thing that God starts by saying. I see what you're doing. And I'm pleased. God is pleased by the work here. Just as he was pleased with the church at Ephesus, he's pleased with the church in Jackson. He sees, sometimes it feels like what we are doing is not being noticed. Nobody's paying attention to it. But here's the thing. He says, I know your works. I know what you are doing. I see what you're doing. I don't know if you've ever done something in secret or done something without people noticing. But we want people to know that we are serving God. We want, I know, I don't know if you have this where you, uh, well, I would say something with my parents. But let me just put it with my wife. I... I don't know if guys can relate to this, but my wife uh, is the one who cleans all our dishes and does a lot of our housework and so forth. And I know especially early on, I've kind of learned from this, but especially early on, I was that husband who, um, if I cleaned a dish, I would want her to know that I cleaned the dish. Remember that dirty dish? Don't worry about it. I got it. You're welcome. You know, and I would want her to affirm. I saw you. Yeah, okay. I saw the the clean dish. Thank you so much. You're such a hero. Uh, and and I, I but I want somebody to know what I did. And this is God's message. First message to the church is I know your works. I know, I know what you are doing. I see it. And it's not. This isn't a bad thing. This is him saying I see. I see the work you are doing here in Jackson, Missouri. I see it. I'm with you believe in you. I know what you're doing. What he says in chapter 2, verse 1. Back up. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars. Now the seven stars we've already been told uh, are well it says in some versions the seven angels but the word is actually messengers and it's more appropriately translated when it's say messengers. The messengers to the churches would be probably the pastors the leaders of the churches because that's where he's taking the letters to and that and that sometimes that's it's kind of like servant in the bibles that, that we sometimes will translate it deacon when it really just is servant and doesn't mean the office but uh but the greek word literally is where it says back in revelation chapter 1 verse 20 
if you back up just a little bit, it says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Angels is also messengers. So it's not just like there's a guardian angel for each church. I'm not saying there's not. I think there is an angels that watch over us. Obviously, the word teaches us that. But I think here he's talking about the messengers to the church in Ephesus, that being the pastors. It says, thus says the one who holds the seven stars, the seven leaders, messengers of the church in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, which are the churches themselves. He says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. These are good traits. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be liars. All good things. And he says, I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. He is celebrating all these things, and all these things should be celebrated and shouldn't be stopped. So in no way in any message is there ever a time where he says, I, I, I want you to stop what you are doing. I want you to stop being going to church. I want you to stop. Sometimes we get tempted that we're, we don't think we're where God wants us to be. We just stop doing everything that we're doing. No, he said, no, keep doing this. And, and this is the work. Continue to persevere. Continue to endure. Don't quit. Don't stop. Keep serving. Don't give up. Sometimes Satan gets in our head. He gets in our head and says, God is not happy with anything that you're doing. That preacher is saying something to you again about something you're not doing right or something you're not living up to his perfect status or quality, and you just might as well just quit. No, don't quit. Don't quit. If somebody ever questions something, I've seen this happen so often. We're teaching or we're working in some ministry or we're doing something, and somebody says, hey, uh, maybe you could do it this way. Or they offer some just sometimes light correction, sometimes it's hard criticism. But whatever the case, it's like, you know what? Forget it. I don't want to do it anyway. Just quit. I'm just done with it. I, I encounter so many people who don't go to church anymore because of something a preacher said one time. It's like, you know, we do 52 messages a year. 52! And they all have a lot of content. And sometimes one time in 10 years, that's 520 sermons. Somebody will say, but he said something that offended me and I never went back. You said, when, I, when I'm doing premarital counseling with couples, I say, what is the one thing they could do that would make you want to divorce them? Ask every couple that before they get married. So what is, what is the line that they would have to cross? And you'd say, if they cross that, then I'm leaving them. And some, a lot of them, they're so in love, they can't think of anything. You know. So I give them examples. <laughs> I say, well, here's reasons why people did get divorced. And you tell me if you would get divorced over these issues. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, if that happened, yeah, then I would do that. And, and I, then I go back and I say, okay, here's the deal. Wherever you draw that line, wherever you draw that line and say, if this ever happens, I will quit, you've just told the enemy You've just told Satan, this is what you have to do. And that's what he's going to do. He knows what it will take to get you to quit. You've already got it marked in your mind. So just know that. If, you're, if you've got it, if it's in your head, he can't read your mind. But he can listen. He hears what you say. And he knows your actions. And he's very savvy. And he knows what other people have done. And so he's going to try things on you to see what your button is, to see what your threshold is. He's going to search for it. He's going to find it. 
Don't quit. Persevere. Endure. You are not here for me. You're not here for anybody. You're here for Jesus. And he hasn't done anything. Now, if you say that Jesus has offended you, if you say the gospel is repulsive to you, yeah, then you don't need to be here. People who are repulsed by Christ shouldn't be in the church. That doesn't make sense. If you are repulsed by Christ and you're comfortable in our church, then something's wrong with our church. But if it's not Jesus who's repulsing you, then don't let anybody take your calling from you. Don't let anybody... I mean, Jeremiah was called by God to serve and the they didn't like the words he was saying and they threw him into the mire and he's sinking in the mire and he's still faithful to do what God called him to do. Why? Because he's being faithful to God to do what God called him to do. Even though everybody hated what he was saying and everybody maligned him. That's what we do when we serve God. We persevere. And be encouraged if you are doing that and other people are criticizing you for doing what God's called you and you're being biblically faithful and you're being obedient to Christ. He sees that. He knows your works. He knows what you're doing. He, and he says, keep going. Don't stop. But then he says, but I do have this against you. I do have this against you. And it's so important. So important to be able to differentiate in our minds and our hearts what people are saying and what God is saying. In my first church, I was it was trial by fire, and they said some pretty harsh things. Now, granted, I was young and I did some pretty harsh things. I was fairly bold. I may or may not have torn up their little brochure that they handed out to people in front of them and said it was worthless and threw it at them. I may have done that. That may have been a little bit harsh. I was young, I'm telling you. I may have said it was full of lies and deceit and that they weren't the friendly church that they were advertising. I may have said that. So I may have welcomed some comments after that message and I got them. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes though, we just are being nice and doing what we do, and people say bad things or harsh things to us. And here's the thing I I know and I tell everybody else. When people are saying things, this is what you pray in your mind as people are talking to you. God, show me what is from you and what is not from you. I want to hear what you are saying. I want to know what you have against me. And this is Jesus saying this to the church. He's saying, this is Jesus saying, I have this against you. Look in verse 4. He says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, he's just told them that they don't tolerate evil people. They test those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be liars. So they're good at discerning when people are not who they're supposed to be. And he says, and they persevered and endured hardships. But he says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. So he said, you're going to have to recollect what your first love is and how far you are removed from what it was you were first committed to. Love being an action, love being a commitment, love being a covenant, love being the standard that Jesus said, loving others as we as he has loved us. 
Remember how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Notice how he's saying love and works. He's putting them side by side. Not that feeling you had, but the things you were doing before. Remember when you were loving as I loved you. You've gone away from that. Go back to that. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving others as yourself. You've gotten away from that. You need to go back to doing that. He says in verse 6, Yet you do not have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were like, uh, were people who were dualists in there. The heresy that had crept in is that the body is physical and my spirit is spiritual, so the things that my body does are not connected to the way my spirit feels. And I'm like, now it sounds weird, but let me put it in terms like this. That means that as long as my spirit loves God and is connected with Him, it doesn't matter what my body does. So if I'm involved in sexual immorality, if I'm a lying, my mouth lies or cheats or whatever, then my hands do steal. It doesn't matter because my spirit is right. And it was mostly sexual immorality. Now this is ever-present in our world today. And Paul, uh, and John is saying, or Jesus is saying through John, to John, to the churches, at least you hate them. You hate this practice. And church, we have to hate this practice. We have to hate this. We have to, we have to recognize that when we say we follow Christ, we follow Christ with our body, with our mind, our emotions, and our spirit. We are holistically connected to Him. Everything, I mean, just when we talk about Jesus being like Jesus, it has to be all of Jesus, everything that Jesus did. If you would not picture Jesus doing this, then we also need not to be engaged in that behavior. Jesus is the model, and this is this is this is a very way I've always tried to help people understand repentance. If Jesus is not in front of you leading you forward, then turn around. If you look and Jesus is not if you are not looking at Jesus, if right now in your life, as the things you're doing, if Jesus is not the object of your faith, if Jesus is not the, the person in front of you that you're looking at, if you're engaged in other things that Jesus is not a part of, if you're hoping Jesus doesn't see you doing what you're doing, if you're hoping Jesus doesn't see you or hear you saying what you're saying, if you're hoping Jesus is not involved where you are and who you're with, then you are not looking at him, following him with a relationship and if Jesus is not the one leading you forward, going the direction you want to go, then you need to turn around. Repentance is literally this. I'm going this direction, doing these things. I recognize that this is not where Jesus is, and I turn around. And now I see Jesus, and I begin to go toward him. That is repentance. 
And every time we take a moment, and, and it's something that happens over and over and over again, here's the good news. Peter said, how often do we forgive people who repent? And seven times, isn't that enough? If they keep turning away? And Jesus said, nope, 70 times seven, I mean, not 490, but that over and over and over again. And this is the forgiveness that God has for us. That's why he says, you need to be very forgiving. Because you want me to forgive you over and over again. So you just have to forgive people over and over again. That's how this works. If you have my spirit, you will forgive. So if you are not forgiving, then you're not looking at me. Look at me. And when you look at me, you realize, well, I should forgive everybody because I see now that Jesus has forgiven me. Every day you wake up, every day you start your day, take an account of what you're looking at. And if you're not looking at Jesus, if you're not getting up looking at Jesus, pursuing Christ, turn around. And then he says, anyone who has ears to hear. Not anyone who has ears. That would be most people. We don't have any earless people here today. But he says, ears to hear. And here's the irony. I mean, or just the obvious fact. Those who have ears to hear can hear me say that. If you can't hear me saying it, then you don't have ears to hear. Here's something you should be very aware of. I'm very afraid of. If you get through message after message after message and you don't get anything, the problem is not the messenger. The problem is your ears. It's like when you're reading the Bible. Nothing wrong with the Bible. But remember when you read it and you read it and you read it and you say, I just don't get anything out of it? That means there's something. I'm going to tell you, that's because you haven't turned around. When you turn around and you're walking with Christ, then his word begins, then you have ears to hear. You hear that, you hear that call. It's kind of like when your mom is talking and you're going away from her because you're wanting to not hear her because you're focused this direction. You don't hear what she's saying. It's when you turn around that you hear her voice very clearly. Look in verse 7. He says this. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He's saying, listen to what the Spirit is saying, not the world. I hope you heard that. Because the world says so much. And oh my goodness, it was hard enough, hard enough. When it was just printed in newspapers and you didn't read the paper. So you never heard it. But now it's everywhere. My phone goes off over and over again. I see people looking at, oh, reading, I see the expression on people's faces. Oh my goodness, did you see what this person, what this person said? I'm going to forward that to somebody. I'm going to forward that to 100,000 people so they can see what this person said. Because it really made me depressed. So I want to share it with them. Or, oh, I hate this. It makes me so angry. So let me share it with people I love. You see the irony in that? This makes me hate the world, hate life, makes me want to kill myself. Look, you know, it's like it's the equivalent of that. This smells really bad smell, you know, isn't that the craziest thing? This is so repulsive. I hate this. I want to share it with you. Do not be listening to what the world says. You can be aware of what the world is saying, but only in the context of listening to the Holy Spirit. What He's saying is true. 
I hear this over and over again. I can't trust anybody. I don't know who to believe. Yes, you do. Because you've heard it. You believe Jesus. And only Jesus. And that's all we should be sharing. Put everything in context. Listen to what the Spirit is saying. Not the world. The reason why we leave our first love, the reason why we leave loved ones, the reason why we go away from God, why we go away from our families, why we go away from anything is because we have this need to conquer something. We have a mountain we want to climb. We have an ocean we want to swim. We have a dream we want to accomplish. We have a war we want to fight. And we leave people behind. That is just, just like take picture in old days when, when in the Old Testament when they would leave their families behind and go fight battles to conquer a land or a people. When you leave your family in the morning, I'm going to go conquer the workforce. I'm going to go conquer this. I'm going to go conquer society. I'm going to conquer this. I'm going to accomplish dreams. I'm going to fly the moon. I'm going to do something. And I have to leave you behind in order to go do it. That's why we do that. Everybody in this room has something you want to conquer. It could be, a, it could be an internal battle, something you're trying to defeat, a habit that you want to break, a, a way of living, a way of thinking it could, be, it could be noble. It could be you're trying to conquer poverty or uh, human trafficking. or something. It could be conquering for the gospel. But something you believe, a war that you need believe needs to be fought. And, and your, depre- your elation or your depression is all connected to where you are in that conquering process. If you feel you're being beaten or whatever, you're like, don't look at me, don't look at me because I'm being beaten. Or look at me, look at me, I'm winning, I'm winning. And that's our world. Everybody's out trying to fight something. And here's what God is saying to us. You are not the conqueror. Whatever you need to conquer in life, you need to understand this. Jesus is the conqueror. The kings of the Old Testament, he would tell them all the time, no, you're not the one who has to save these people. I save these people. The battle is the Lord's. So whatever it is you're facing today, whatever it is, whatever feeling you get today is like, oh my goodness, I need to try this harder. I need to work harder for this. And it's not saying you're not supposed to do anything. It's supposed to, it's, you're supposed to understand that Jesus is the one who's going to fight the battle. You just come alongside Christ. He says, take my yoke upon you. That means that this yoke that I've got on me, I've got this little space over here, and I'm going to pull the weight, and I'm going to carry the load, and I just want you to come beside me as I win this battle for you. I want you to trust me. I want you to surrender to me. And then I want you to conquer the world with me. But I'm going to do the work. And then he finishes out. By telling us how paradise is not now. And this is why we're fighting and losing. We're fighting and losing because we're trying to achieve paradise. That's what the world is doing. The world is trying to achieve paradise because they think this is all there is. We believe in another world to come. We believe God is going to judge this world. That he's going to destroy this world. That his wrath is going to be poured out on this world. We're trying to save people from this world. So when we look at it and go, oh my goodness, the world's falling apart. We've got to fix it. No, it can't be fixed. It's going to be destroyed. Jesus wants to save it. 
save the people in it. And he's called us to be his messengers, to be his people, to love them as he loves them, to go and share the gospel with them, to say, I have good news for you. This world is going down. That's not the good news. But you don't have to go down with it. You see the destruction that's happening all over our world today? Not going to get better. Going to get worse. But you don't have to be destroyed by it. And if you lose everything in this world, God will restore it a hundredfold. That's good news. That's the good news we believe, right? Today, surrender. Surrender your love for whatever else it is you're loving. Turn around. And now love Christ. And this is how Jesus says to love him. He says, love others as I have loved you. And how did he love us? He didn't show up on this earth and give everybody a beautiful home. He didn't show up on this earth and give everybody an amazing job. He didn't show up on this earth and make every family perfect. He told people, he showed up on this earth and said for people to put their faith in him, to trust him for their eternity, to walk with him in newness of life, to receive his Holy Spirit. And that's what we do. We take that message to the world. As Jesus was taking that message to the world, we continue to take that message to the world until he returns. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for how amazing you are. And God, may we continue to persevere in standing against heresies. May we continue to persevere in standing on the truth. May we continue to endure the hardships that come from serving you and, and, and being in a world that hates you and, and, and trying to stand firm on the gospel. But Lord, may we today make sure that we are remembering our first love. Lord, that we would repent. Lord, that we would turn away from anything that takes us further from you. Lord, let your Holy Spirit show us anything that we are doing with our minds, anything that we are doing with our hands, anything that we are saying with our mouths, anything that we are looking at with our eyes, anything that is taking us further away from Christ. May we deny that today and surrender to you and realize we can be conquerors in Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me as we have a time of invitation. Just want to invite you to come. This is a perfect place to repent. In fact, everybody's left this whole front row over so you can come and sit in a chair. If you have bad knees, you can sit in a chair. Just in an act of humility before God or you can kneel up here. If you're perfectly one with the Lord, I'm sure there's someone in your life who's struggling with repentance and needs your prayers, would you come pray for them that they would have the ability to turn from their wicked ways and turn back to Christ? But please give the Holy Spirit a moment to identify in your life things that you're doing with your eyes, things that you're doing with your hands, things that you're doing with your heart, things that you are doing that are not representative of the love of Christ. And 
today repent of those things so that we can conquer in Jesus' name. Every morn 
Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Yesterday, as they were praying, we were praying, one of the things that uh, was brought to light is when you look at the world around us and the things that are happening in the world, is to realize there's some personal responsibility in that. There's a part that we played in allowing those things to happen by not being the salt and light that God has called us to be. I I don't know if you've ever done deep cleaning. But we get into a habit where we just gloss over things and we and we are cleaning regularly. We're washing things down and so forth, but but there's dirt that gets in cracks and crevices and so forth. It's kinda like when you move somebody and you pull out that refrigerator and nobody wants to see what's behind their refrigerator, how nasty it is. Well sometimes we have these moments, these opportunities, this this time. Sometimes the reason why it's you're here. God wants you to pull that refrigerator out. He wants you to look and see what's back there. That stuff that you never pay attention to. The stuff that you just glossed over and said, I'm just, I'm just, just who I am. That's just what. And he's like, no, no. I want to redeem that. I want to, I want to fix that. I don't want you to be like that anymore. I don't want you to have that in your life anymore. I want, I want you to take a next step toward me to be more like me. I want you to be able to forgive that which you have not forgiven, to love that which you have not loved, to to not be satisfied, to be less than holy. And so just right now in this quiet moment, just if you would just just close your eyes and say, Lord, show me, is there anything in my life that's not holy? And may I surrender that to you I want to be holy as you are holy.
As we close today, I just want you to remember we still have a moment of worship, and that is uh, we worship through our tithes and offerings. We put that at the end just to be more um, less, I don't know how to say this, more socially distanced or less touchy. I don't know, or the germy. I don't, I'm trying to think of a polite way to say we're trying to be COVID-friendly in our collection of the offering. But uh, it's actually very, in the Bible, when they gave their offering or whatever, they put it in a box. So we're actually being probably a little more biblical uh, than than we have been. But uh, uh, as I mentioned before, Randy Randy didn't think two boxes were enough. We thought we would get twice as much offering if we created two more boxes. So there's four boxes back there. There's also a place in the back there. But uh, as always, I'm not trying to just remind you to give because it's uh, we need the money. It's a Remember, that's just part of our worship of the Lord is to offer up to him what is his. And so don't. Don't think the service is over. It is just uh, another part of our, as we finish, that is how we will close out the service, by worshiping him with our tithes and offerings. So let me pray for that this morning. Father, we just thank you, God, for how good you are. Thank you for the love that you show us each and every day. Father, we have taken time to surrender our hearts to you. Now, Lord, may we give to you as you would have us to give. Show us in our hearts what you would have us to give. May we give in obedience to you. And Father, receive these offerings that are given, Father, these tithes, offerings, and use them for the glory of your kingdom. Take them and do with them, Father, as is pleasing to you. And Father, may your kingdom be glorified as a result. May all hearts leave this place at peace with you, and may we go out of here and be the people of God that you've called us to be. Use us, Father, for the glory of your kingdom. Thank you for Jesus, who gives us hope. Lord, and no matter what we hear, no matter what we see, may we listen to what your Spirit is saying to us. And it is saying we will overcome, that victory is in Christ. And so may we persevere. In Jesus' name, amen.